the rich people always flying off somewhere. <laughs> Welcome to the Vegan Vanguard. A show about all things from the perspective of two revolutionary vegan women. I'm Mexi. And I'm Maureen. And today we'll be talking about environmental racism and slaughterhouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to be looking at the impacts to public health and safety of people living in communities that are nearby factory farms or slaughterhouses. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just quite gross. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I like that I like that this topic really just encapsulates the intersection between capitalism and speciesism and racism and mm-hmm. environmentalism environmentalism i know i was like did i already say climate change at the beginning of this list i'm forgetting (laughs) but yeah yeah no absolutely and there's so many like really surprising impacts actually that you probably wouldn't necessarily associate with just living near a factory farm right yeah and i think it really drills home the point that hopefully we make in the show or that we're both very passionate about that being anti-capitalist and being, you know, and like for the preservation of our climate really can't be, can't be done without uh, going vegan, but (laughs) um, without like stopping the consumption of animal and like really opposing um, animal farms. And um, especially for people who resist environmental racism, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is such it is so important to stop supporting um, the agro business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this will be a nice pick me up because <laughs> I have been. Um, I'm just ta- telling Marine, just been very um, disparaged, disparaged this week, and I just got in a terrible, yeah. terrible argument last night with a vegan who I thought was more conscious and more had more compassion for actual people and not just the animals and i mm-hmm. i was wrong <laughs> so right. so yeah i'm looking forward to discussing these things and um yeah sharing them with our audience who is woke and does care about animals and people so mhm woohoo yeah disparaging was a good word to say that because i often feel like people are really waking up to the ills of capitalism. Like it feels like it's reaching this level where a part of me thinks, okay, now this, this truth is so undeniable and the situation is so extreme that people are left are waking up to it left and right. And definitely a lot of people are. um, But sometimes I also meet like completely like, not even like right wingers, you Mm -hmm. know, completely like quote unquote, like normal people who just, you know, sort of are disengaged from politics, but you know, and sometimes are are vegan or are, you know, are people who I get along with on certain topics. And I realize like the topic of climate change comes up or something and they'll, they'll be questioning if it's actually like something we really need to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they'll um, talk about, what we were talking about earlier, Mexi, but like how people who are anti-capitalism just want free shit um, or just like these very blatantly, like demonstrably false ideas. Mm -hmm. And then I get really down about it because I, I felt I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just rains on my um, parade. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, definitely. It does rain on my parade. And, um, and yeah, I mean, this person I thought was a normal person, like a, just an intellectual person, but yeah, they're pulling out all of the tropes, all of the, yeah, socialists want free shit and taxation is theft and you just want to play around with other people's money and like, basically. Well, yeah. And what's scary is that, sorry, I I completely cut you off. That's fine. Um, but (laughs) um but this person is not completely disengaged from politics because like they live in a tiny house they care about minimalism they Mm -hmm. care about diy stuff they care about like they care about these issues they're vegan you know Mm -hmm. so i exactly 
it's even more discouraging, I guess, to hear these arguments coming from right. those sorts of And that's you know. that's what I said. I was like, you can't be for the environment and for the free market. That's oxymoronic. It does not compute. And and yeah, and then in the final uh message, they actually said that poor people <laughs> should just focus more on the law of attraction. <laughs> And stop trying yeah, to get free shit from other people's money. It, I just, I was floored by these comments, just the sheer ignorance of these comments. And like yeah. every point that I was giving, he really had no, he had no comment back to that. It just came coming back, kept coming back to these ridiculous tropes of like personal responsibility and freedom. Freedom. Oh <laughs> freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what we talked about in our law of attraction episode, but this like culture of just everyone attracts into their life what they actually end up with, mm-hmm. like in very selective instances, like I understand how it can be useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is so, and, and, and I think that these people who talk about the law of attraction, like implement it into their lives in a way that's like pretty useful. It seems mm-hmm, like, you mm-hmm. know, like, yeah. I don't think it's super toxic or anything, but then the fact that it has taught them to think this way about other victims of mm-hmm. structural violence and of capitalist oppression really just makes me question anyone who talks about the law of attraction to absolutely be because I, like they weren't even like the really bad ones i felt like no i mean no they were kind of, they seem like completely uh, normal people and i'm like oh yeah, yeah great I'm, I'm so glad that we've just solved global hunger you and i right now we've solved it just the love just attract that shit into your life mm-hmm. people just attract it mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm like what's that meme it's like maybe you attracted it maybe it's white privilege <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like the law of attraction it's like there i guess their one response to world hunger would be i i don't think they have one they would probably just be like exactly and that's why we need to focus on how grateful we are to have abundance into our lives to keep attracting it and it's like uh, you're not actually talking about the argument though you're not you're not Mm -hmm. you know what i mean if you're if you ask those people like okay well what about like world hunger do they just not want food badly enough Mm mm-hmm they no. kind of sidestep it. The only time world hunger comes up in these conversations is like for like white privileged people to tell other white privileged people to like focus on how much abundance they have. Like it's a total yeah. instrumentalization of pro- of poverty. Yeah. This person actually said that if they want to live in poverty, they can choose to do that. And if they want to live in abundance, they can choose to do that too. And I'm like, are you hearing yourself? Like, oh my God. Do you not see? What a privileged position that you're in that you can decide to just live in abundance. And I'm like, do you actually think that within this economic framework, everyone can live in abundance? Because that's absurd. Like capitalism Mm -hmm. would cease to function at that point if everyone was living in abundance. And every single economic point that he brought up, I just shut down completely. And then he just like sidestepped it and just came back to this ridiculousness. And I'm just, I am just floored, girl. I just, I can't, God, you know? Just took so much yes. of my energy. I was just like, "Wow, I, I, I'm just so disillusioned with like, I, I thought that people were just, I thought that normal people weren't so ignorant and like obtuse. I thought mm-hmm. that they were just normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought like at best they were just disengaged, not like at worst. Well, especially like, if they're vegan and living these... in a tiny house and like environmentally right. conscious, you know, it's like. The, the other thing that I'm thinking about when you're saying, you know, does he really think that everyone, everyone can just live in abundance? I'm like, doesn't this dude like plant shit? Isn't gardening like his, his MO? Like, doesn't he understand that to, you have to plant a seed into the ground and then water it and then the tree grows and then the compost and then the, like that it's cyclical that you can't have like a linear exponential growth of something? You look confused. <laughs> Sorry, that was like... <laughs> It's like what word I just took it this? very meta, but <laughs> yes, like... but like you know, I what was I mean? like, yeah, it, it, cyclical, like, cyclical, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, are, I feel yeah. like 
everything about capitalism like needs to be like we need to believe in this like complete fantasy of infinite growth that literally defies logic and i'm just saying that mm. that logic is something that otherwise he seems to be very conscious of in his life you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i don't know if that was taking it a little too far but it worked for me take it no that i yeah no that that <laughs> does make sense clearly clearly he has not grasped the fact that this is a system based on growth and that growth does not happen without the decimation of labor and the environment. Mm -hmm. oh, but he also thinks my. he doesn't understand that it's a system premised on growth, but he also thinks that like everyone could technically live in abundance if they will it into their lives. So like it's yeah, whatever. It's just a delusion. It's, it's hypocrisy capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> deluded delusion mixed with hypocrisy. So, anyway, yeah. that was a shame. But um, yeah, and you've also been getting a bunch of shitty arguments about Canadian elections. Oh God, I've been getting into so you many arguments and haven't had a break. <laughs> yeah, it's just um, I don't know. It just seems to like all be coming to a head right now. I guess because like a lot. A lot more stuff is in the news lately. And I mean, this person has been following me for a while. They've never once made a comment about, you know, my socialist leanings ever, but they felt so inclined to weigh in on this because I was talking about the March for Our Lives thing. And like, that was too much for him. He had to step in at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to make the brilliant argument that rather than blaming guns we should blame the people because when somebody gets in a car accident do we blame the cars mm -hmm. that was his argument. yeah well like he like i mean he made a good point that it's not just it's not the guns it's not just the objects it's society and i was like yeah exactly right. so socialists are trying to change society and address the alienation and aggression that would lead to people to do this, mm -hmm. you know, and to have, you know, access to healthcare and access to mental health uh, and therapy and everything so that people aren't, you know, in situations where they feel these impulses to do these things, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then he just went off about how that's just about stealing other people's money. And I'm like, so you don't, you don't, like, if your argument was that it's not the guns, it's society, you also don't want to change society. You just don't want to change right. anything. <laughs> right. Like, okay. Yeah. Cool. Then good luck to you. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway. Well, I often feel that way when I get into arguments with people about capitalism. Is It's like every single – like, every time you pinpoint a problem – there's this like ready-made but false solution to supposedly address the problem that like also supports capitalism. You know, it's like, well, what mm -hmm. about people's, what about the fact that people can't work? Okay, we need to grow the economy and then we're going to, you know, like capitalism has a very foolproof logic. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, we need, people don't have jobs, so we need to grow the economy, even though growing the economy eliminates jobs and like makes, right. makes work more precarious anyway well. yeah um so thank you listeners for indulging my rant <laughs> <laughs> on that because it's just been real upsetting and so um mm -hmm. so yeah so anyway i'm excited to talk about this with you marine my woke badass <laughs> bestie <laughs> woke badass bestie that is a label i'm willing to wear Awesome. All right. So um, I guess we will start. We'll, we're going to just talk about first uh, a lot of the impacts that people feel if they are living near a factory farm or if a factory farm moves into their community. And then we'll talk a bit about environmental racism and also take a look at, you know, some community organizing to fight back against factory farming. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit about how climate change is sustained by structures of racism and speciesism and sexism and all of that, just mm -hmm. on like a larger scale. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I think that you did a great job. And Mexi is going to be, <laughs> I think, covering a lot of the factual information because she recently did a lot of research for an article she wrote about this very topic. So we thought it would be a great time to 
do an episode and I read her article and loved it. And I'm very excited to sit back and relax and hear you talk about <laughs> all the amazing things that you learned. Um, all right. So first I'm just going to um, briefly mention that ever since the 1980s, surprise, surprise, with the onset of neoliberalism, uh, farming, that's when factory farming really took off. That's when we saw a, a big shift, a rapid shift from family farms to larger, more intensively cultivated and managed factory farms. The number of family pig farms, for example, in the United States decreased by more than two thirds between 1992 and 2002. While the overall number of animals in factory farms, or they also call them um, concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the overall number of animals in CAFOs over that same time period increased by 88%. So all of what we're going to be talking today is really affected, obviously, by the structures of capitalism and neoliberalism that uh, really concentrates wealth and capital and makes, you know, larger scale operations more economical and uh, mm -hmm. and really works to to outcompete or to force family farmers or smaller operations out of business. Mm -hmm. A lot of the impacts that we're going to take a look at today are also, you know, very much exaggerated by neoliberal capitalism um, because as we'll see a lot of the the ways that factory farms are disposing of their waste the the manure and animal waste is very dangerous but they're doing it in that way because it's more cost effective to do so and so all of this has to do with uh, fierce competition between factory farms that's leading them to do do all these terrible things and take all these measures like feeding the animals antibiotics in order to make them grow up to size as quick as possible, which as we'll see also has a terrible impact. So and, and to house more animals per feeding lot, I'm imagining as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because the sanitary conditions are super neglected because they're expensive. Mm -hmm. And so fierce competition makes farmers, you know, makes industries store more and more animals in the same feeding lots and mm -hmm. also obviously make them grow in all these very unnatural, unhealthy ways that then mm -hmm. they need to, you know, feed them antibiotics in order to like avoid completely killing consumers who eat the meat. And as a matter of fact, 70 to 80% of all antibiotics consumed in the US go to animals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yep, it's a huge yep. problem. Mm -hmm. And as you said, yeah, it's completely fueled by extreme cutthroat competition between like these corporations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, corporations just trying to make more money in this system. So, so yeah, um, the reason why there are so many terrible impacts in communities surrounding these farms, it basically all stems from the huge amounts of manure and animal waste that they produce. So factory farms produce approximately 500 million tons of animal waste in the United States alone every year. And this is over three times more than all of the human wastes that Americans ge generate. <laughs> Large farms can produce more waste than some U.S. cities. And, you know, obviously this waste contains toxic chemicals, bacteria, etc. And this contaminates all of the surrounding A soils, air, and waterways. Mm -hmm. Yes, antibiotics, pathogens, everything. So the EPA identified factory farms as leading sources of pollutants for waterways. And so what they do is they store them in these huge lagoons that are, you know, kept in. Some of them are open air lagoons, which is dangerous in case there's like a hurricane or flooding or anything. But often there's too much waste to store even within the large lagoons. And so what they do with the extra waste is they will either just go and spread untreated manure on surrounding soils, which is not good or they will spray them with liquid manure which i find disgusting <laughs> like i just it is so disgusting <laughs> i just like i can't believe we put manure into a machine and sprayed out as mist yeah. over like 
fields and people's homes. I know. Like, what the fuck? This is ni- nightmarish. I know. It's so disgusting. So these like mists like can spread and people are like breathing Ugh. this in, you know, and it's spreading yeah. pollutants in the air and it's also getting into the soils and water. Absolutely disgusting. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and also there's limits as to how many nutrients from like the manure that a land area can handle. And so when it's, when it's applied too frequently or if it's just too much for it to handle, then the nutrients overwhelm the absorptive capacity of the soil and they either run off or they're leached into the, the groundwater. And people, people often drink from the groundwater, especially in rural communities. And so people are like drinking right Mm -hmm. from these areas that are being contaminated. So, so yeah, it also releases toxic gases into the air, like ammonia and hydrogen sulfide. Um, And as Maureen was talking about, like, given that so many of the antibiotics that are produced in the U.S. are fed to livestock, Antibiotics also pass into the water supply, along with antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria that develop in farmed animals. So I think, well, we can talk about that now, I guess. Like, if anyone has seen the video or the documentary Resistance on Netflix, if you have not, you should watch it because it's absolutely terrifying. But antibiotic resistance is no small thing we are breeding antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria faster than we are creating new antibiotics and so what that means is that you know common bacterial infections could end up just killing people not because like they're they're so severe that we shouldn't be able to treat them but just that we don't have antibiotics like our antibiotics do not work because the bacteria have become mm-hmm. resistant to those strains of antibiotics and it's already happening to so many people super horrifying yeah it's art yeah like there's already so many heartbreaking stories of of people who have lost their children or or whatever because they just could not be treated (sighs) do you know if people who eat less like antibiotically treated meat have a lesser chance of developing these antibiotic resistant strands or are we all going to be affected equally because it's going to breed new super bacteria that like we're also not going to be able to defend ourselves against um no i mean like if if we're part of the population who is not or wait are we all going to be affected i yeah i don't know if any of the listeners know i really need to be more educated about this but i want like i know that it's like a collective global threat but i don't Mm -hmm. i never know if that's an argument that i can honestly make when i talk to people about veganism if i can also you know talk about the dangers of eating meat and developing antibiotic resistance like on an individual level because i never i'm sure if that that actually is tied to how much meat you eat or not yeah, you know? well, I know that a lot of the like a lot of the strains like they've traced back to land animals, like they've traced back to livestock. But I guess if mm-hmm. if there is a strain of antibiotic resistant bacteria, I mean, as as a vegan, you're probably not going to you're you're probably less likely likely to get that infection. So you're probably less likely to die, but oh, but but if okay. you were to get that infection, then probably you would die because there is no antibiotic that would be able to resist it. Uh-huh. So I mean, yeah. the, it is still a good argument for people to go vegan because it's like, or at least to like staunchly oppose factory farming and the animal agriculture industry because that is going to affect us all around the globe, and it's not like a laughing Mm -hmm. matter you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. um yeah like there's no reason we should Mm -hmm. be doing this there's no reason we should be concentrating animals like that into that small space and and feeding them antibiotics that they don't need Mm -hmm. something that i think about all the time is an issue that callie brought up in a new segment of the vegan warrior princess attack princess's attack it was the first time i was hearing about this Um, but she shared a news item about how bacteria 
that has been like locked into our Arctic for since like the first or second ice age um, are now at risk of since the Arctic, since all the ice is melting, they are at risk of being unleashed. And it's actually Mm -hmm. very, very probable that this is going to happen. Like we're going to have all of this bacteria that we haven't had on the globe for like tens of thousands of years that are like, that we are incredibly ill. Like we are not equipped to deal with them, but that's just like Mm -hmm. a horror show. Like I can't Mm -hmm. imagine. Yeah. I honestly, with I can't figure out what we're gonna die from first. Like, is it gonna be you know we're gonna like gas ourselves to death with pollution? Are we gonna like unleash so many ancient bacterias from the Arctic that are gonna make us develop these illnesses and like cause a mass extinction? Is it going to be from the animal products that we keep ingesting that like make everyone really unhealthy? Is it you know I don't know. I think it's going to be a combination of everything in just like this massive, great dying. And then, yeah, I'm just going to be standing there like, I told you, I told you all. (laughs) You didn't listen to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even more than us, it's like all the people we like colonialism fucked up (laughs) that like oh yeah you know yeah be like well yep this is the white the white devil (laughs) did all of this to us oh absolutely Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) what no ace ventura no what's that what's ace ventura is that bad (laughs) is that a reference i should know yes oh my god yeah anyway what is it? It's Jim Carrey movies. What is it? Ace Ventura one and two. Ah. Classics. Oh. Anyway. I'm hor I mean, sometimes people a lot of my friends are shocked by how little reference culture I have <laughs> to like actors or movies or really like any music. I mean, it's really embarrassing. That's why when you're like Ace Ventura, like I don't know if you're gonna say like that it's like a cult movie or it's like a v- an incredibly important politician that was like, you know, like I'm, I always like have this moment. I'm sure, I'm sure we've all had it, right? Like when people are like, really, you don't know that, and you're like, shit. Yeah. Like depending on what this actually turns out to be, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, no, it's just a really, it's Jim a, it's a funny, deal with. yeah, it's a funny video, and they have a part where they they're calling him the White Devil. White Devil, White Devil. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but uh, anyway, yes. Um, I often wonder why, uh, just what the hell people are thinking, wanting to continue all of these systems, mm-hmm. knowing that, yeah, we're definitely going to unleash all of this. So anyway, yeah, let's take a look at some of the uh, contaminants and some of the impacts that these can have on people. So uh, the most common airborne contaminants are ammonia, hydrogen sulfide, methane, and particulate matter. Obviously, methane, as we've talked about many times before, is a incredibly, incredibly powerful greenhouse gas. It is 25 times as strong in terms of warming potential as CO2. And so even emitting a small bit of it is has a lot of impact. Um, and then they've been saying, scientists have been saying that methane is slated to grow quite a lot in the next coming decades, which is really, really terrifying a lot of methane is emitted by factory farms. So this is a very serious issue when we're thinking about climate change and sustainability. Ammonia can lead to respiratory problems, chemical burns to the respiratory tract, um, chronic lung diseases. Hydrogen sulfide can lead to uh, death (laughs) and also uh, intense brain damage. And particulate matter can lead to, uh, again, intense respiratory respiratory diseases and uh, toxic dust syndrome. So hydrogen sulfide is is very, very toxic. And uh, it's definitely been linked to brain damage in surrounding communities. Um, Dr. Kilburn, who is a toxicology professor at the University of Southern California, said that the coincidence of people showing a pattern of impairment and being exposed to hydrogen sulfide arising from lagoons where hog manure is stored and then sprayed on fields or sprayed into the air makes a connection practically undeniable. 
And the levels of hydrogen sulfide around factory farms are extremely elevated. In a 2003 study, Iowa State officials found that in the month of April alone, there were 22 days where the levels of hydrogen sulfide and ammonia surpassed levels that the state considered safe, which are 15 and 50 parts per million over an hour, respectively. And residents exposed to these levels can, over time, develop neurological disorders that impair their memory and their balance, cause headaches, fatigue, dizziness, and can affect their motor skills. Uh, The New York Times actually did an expose of um, a bunch of people around the country who were suffering from a lot of these problems. Um, One was Robert Thornhill and his wife, who both suffered brain damage after factory farms moved nearby. Also, Julie Jansen's six children suffered flu-like symptoms, etc. And actually, one of them was found to have neurological damage as well. And she now has problems with balance and lost some feeling in her fingers. (sighs) It's so heartbreaking. I know. And um, there's a whole bunch of different stories here. I'll link this in the show notes. But um, Paul Isbell of Houston started experiencing seizures after a hog farm moved down the road. Um, Jeremiah Burns has to carry around an oxygen tank with him, um, because of respiratory problems. It's just, it's unbelievable what people are going through. I I don't know. Until I, until I did this research, I would never have thought that you would, that neurological diseases or respiratory diseases, diseases are things that you would expect to see in people living around factory farms. Mm -hmm. And the animal agriculture industry still to this day is denying that these people have conditions for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the results of a lawsuit against Smithfield, it was like one of the biggest lawsuits, um, they issued a statement saying North Carolina's hog farms are under a coordinated attack by predatory lawyers, anti-farm activists, and their allies. The lawsuits are about one thing and one thing only, a money grab. Like, that is literally what the fuck they say about these people. And especially because a lot of times these are in marginalized communities, Mm -hmm. people are scared to, like, test – you know, people are scared to testify. They're scared to put their names on lawsuits. They're scared to use health services or they don't have the money to, you know. Mm -hmm. So the corporations are also tremendously benefiting from the fact that this is very – difficult to document because these people are so marginalized already mm-hmm. that is just, just oh my absolutely god it's disgusting. so gross on so many levels oh that makes me sick just thinking about people who and then they have no other options you know what i mean it's just like okay i guess i'll just live here and die like this is terrible well and especially a lot of times they end up being forced to live in these houses like their residents for the rest of their lives because once a slaughterhouse moves into their neighborhood or like in their vicinity it their the property value of their homes plummet Mm -hmm. so for example one study found that community members across iowa saw their property values decrease 40 percent within a half mile 30 percent within one mile and 20 percent within one half a mile and 10 percent within two miles so if your house was worth $100,000, if you live within half a mile, if if a slaughterhouse without the say or approval of anyone in the community moves within half a mile of you, your property value is going to decrease 40%. So from 100000 it's going to go down to $60,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times these people end up being prisoners in their own, in, in their own house. They can no longer move away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter that they can't go out and have a cup of coffee on their fucking porch because they're being rained on by hog shit. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so disgusting. Just, just wanted to paint paint yeah. that lovely picture. And and yeah, I mean because uh, this is definitely an environmental racism issue because obviously companies are able to go into areas, into communities that are poorer and communities of color more easily. And they do. Um, That's just a fact of what happens. And so it's, yeah, it's just the most marginal people who are being harmed and then unable to leave that area. And so they have to just live out Mm -hmm. their lives being sick and just terrible. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. Um, Actually, 
I found these stats on the Food Empowerment Project website. This paragraph says, schools with a significant number of students of color, about 37%, and slightly less than half of the student bodies on reduced lunch programs, so basically lunch programs for like low-income students, were located an average of 4.9 miles from a pig factory farm, yet schools with more white and higher income students were found to be an average of 10.8 miles away. Significant correlation were also found between race, poverty, and the odor exposure from these pig factory farms. Ugh. So like this is, this is targeting communities of color with like surgical precision you know like yes obviously slaughterhouses um, are not going to move into white communities like white affluent communities mm -hmm. they're going to move into a community where the people have absolutely no say and also their health also where their health conditions are not going to be documentable mm -hmm. because they're not going to the doctor all the time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, that actually makes me really sick because children are a lot more affected, a lot more easily affected by these impacts than adults. Mm -hmm. um, children take in uh, 20 to 50% more air than adults. They just breathe more air in. So the closer that children live to a factory farm, the greater their risk of asthma. 46% of children living on hog farms suffer from asthma, and this figure rises to 55% on farms that use antibiotics to hasten animal growth. And over time, absorbing all of those particles can lead to even cardiac arrest, but really impaired lung function. Mm -hmm. Respiratory problems are really common for people who work within slaughterhouses as well. So between 25 and 30% of factory farm workers suffer from very serious diseases, such as acute and chronic asthma or acute and chronic bronchitis. Um, and this holds true for people who are just living in communities near the farms as well. Mm -hmm. And factory farms also emit ammonia, and that's typically absorbed in the upper airways in the body, which can cause coughing, mucus, and um, scarring of the airways. And yeah, so there's just a whole host of, of really terrible uh, respiratory diseases that come from being even in the near vicinity. And the longer that you breathe that in, the worse the damage is going to be inside your body. Mm -hmm. <sighs> so yeah. gross. So gross and so much corporate greed. Like when you, I mean, these factories are making billions and billions of dollars. Like, um, Actually, Smithfield was recently purchased by a multinational Chinese corporation in 2013 for an estimated $4.7 billion. Wow. So, like, do you really think that they don't have the financial resources to manage the pig waste differently? Um, slash to just mm -hmm. fucking not do it all together, obviously. That would be my vote. Um, but at least in a way that, like, minimizes the odor or, like, the nuisance to nearby property owners? Like, do you think that would be on their list mm -hmm. of concerns at all? Like, no. Mm -hmm. No. No. Absolutely not. Their list of concern is, like, yeah, how to kill more animals and how to pay the employers that work for them even less than they already fucking do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we already talked about, like, the terrible work conditions that slaughterhouse workers face. No, they can't mm -hmm. even go to the bathroom. They have to, like, wear diapers. And they're yeah. subjected to like they they get so many injuries on the job, and then they're subjected to terrible psychological trauma, mm -hmm. which also translates into the community. <laughs> oh yeah, um, one landmark study in two thousand six documented that slaughterhouse workers are more likely to commit assault and to be violent in their own homes. This also included like violence against domestic animals. But there there are various other studies that have found that the rates of like violence and murder and sexual assaults are much higher in neighborhoods that have slaughterhouses. And like, yeah, mm -hmm. you're living in a neighborhood I mean, that's slaughtering millions of living beings, you know, and, and the people who are getting paid next to nothing for doing that are like going back out into your community. You know, violence breeds violence. Um, and I know a lot of these stats that we're presenting with Mexi are 
particular to the United States, like especially when we're talking about environmental racism. But this, for example, like the fact that slaughterhouse workers are more likely to commit violence because they're performing violence all day long. This is, I mean, everything that we're talking about is really applicable, I'm sure, to so many slaughterhouses outside of the U.S. But like this point in particular is a universal problem. Just our culture of violence constructs people to be violent, you know, to also cope with their mm -hmm. own trauma from the violence that was inflicted on them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, even if, even if, uh, you know, the term environmental racism might not always apply, I mean, certainly environmental injustice always applies because the communities mm -hmm. that they, that these things are moving in beside are always going to be lower income communities, whether they're people mm -hmm. of color is a, is a different story, maybe in some countries, but it's always a serious injustice. Um, I don't have stats on this, but I would reckon that, uh, uh, in Canada, there's a lot of environmental racism with uh, farming practices and indigenous communities. Um, but again, I don't mm -hmm. have the stats on that. But but anyway, yeah, this mm -hmm. is these things are certainly more widely ap applicable than just the United States. But it's um it's very apparent there since that's the home of such <laughs> you know intensely concentrated agriculture mm -hmm. industries and um and such intense racism and uh, inequality. This is another time where I'm I'm so frustrated that in France we're not allowed to have race related statistics. Do you know this? So like they can perform studies and like sociological studies and say things about people's, you know, marginalized communities in terms of their sex or their income but not their race. So we have zero racial statistics in France. What? Um yep. Yeah, yeah. So like same with affirmative action programs, like you can't have affirmative action programs that are related to race because you're not allowed to ask someone on their application or in a government study what their race is. It's like huh. all race blind, quote unquote. Um, yeah, I mean, that could be <laughs> there's like obviously a lot, a lot to say about that. Um, but I've been wondering the situation with slaughterhouses in France because they're have been so many new slaughterhouses built over the last decade and it's only intensifying what sorts of what sort of communities they're being built in like i'm i'm sure that mm -hmm. it's poor areas um and mm -hmm. i i talked about this a little bit in one of my youtube videos um under like the presidents of Emmanuel Macron but i would be really interested to know the racial composition of those areas um I mean, since since it's something that is so talked about in terms of environmental racism and slaughterhouses in the United States. I mean, is it is it similar in France in that poorer communities tend to be communities of color? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then, yeah. I wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. Yeah. No, me neither. I just know that a lot of them are in the countryside where perhaps there's less of a concept you know what i'm not even gonna make opinions about this because i don't i'm not informed <laughs> enough um but mm -hmm. but there are definitely stats that are they're they're not you cannot get your hands on them like they do not exist it's pretty wild wow it's definitely mm -hmm. surprising Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, more impacts. <laughs> There's like so many, so many discussing impacts. So this next one I'm going to talk about is bacterial infections, which um, hit very close to home. Um, actually, in the town where my uncle and cousins were living at the time in the year 2000, there was a horrible E. coli disaster um, where the their water was infected with e coli thanks to cattle manure containing the bacteria washing into the town after heavy rains um mm -hmm. so the town only had a population of 5000 people at the time and seven people died as a result and 2300 people were sick and were being treated for bloody diarrhea vomiting cramps mm. and fever mm. yeah like totally disgusting um and they they were like a quite small country town um other bacteria related illnesses include i don't know how to pronounce these but campylobacter and cryptosporidium and a 1993 outbreak of cryptosporidium in Milwaukee killed 104 people and caused 403,000 people to fall ill so 
yeah, there's also salmonella. Obviously, there's been mm-hmm. a lot of, um, you know, crises with salmonella over the years. Other potential impacts are birth defects, miscarriages, and infant deaths. So drinking water with nitrate levels above 10 milligrams per liter can cause baby blue syndrome, which is where your infant, like their oxygen flow Mm -hmm. in their blood is impeded. So yeah, yeah. Um, And this has been linked to increased rates of stomach cancer. um, As I said, birth defects, miscarriage, leukemia, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, reduced body growth and slower reflexes, and increased thyroid size. As someone who has mm-hmm. dealt with thyroid problems for many years, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, another major impact is um, these areas become breeding grounds for insect, insect vectors that can then carry their own um, pathogens and everything. So mm-hmm. like mosquitoes and even just houseflies that you know, land on things and they're carrying manure on them. Mm -hmm. Just so disgusting. So, so yeah, so many, so many disgusting impacts for people. Mm -hmm. And I really feel for people who have these things just move in and then they're stuck. They don't, they don't have any Mm -hmm. other options. They can't move away. Their houses, their, their property values have gone way down and Mm -hmm. These are serious, serious impacts. I don't know. I just find it unbelievable. Yeah. No, it really, I mean, I don't know. I don't know a lot about this. So I'm just listening and just horror. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, as we said at the starting, like it really highlights the intersections between capitalism, racism, carnism, Mm -hmm. all of these horrible isms. Mm that it's destroying the environment it's mm-hmm. destroying our health yeah i just i don't know how anyone can support factory farming and 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 choose to consume the meat that comes from that you know mhm yeah no me neither talking about this is making me think of um a lot of Naomi Klein's work around climate change, um, who talks about how climate change is actually like sustained through systems of othering, like white supremacy, speciesism, and sexism. Mm-hmm. Because, for, I mean, she talks about it in relation to the fossil fuel industry, um, that like our world economy is based on fossil fuels that are inherently dirty and destructive. So the fact it necessarily presupposes that people are going to be hurt and that entire communities and entire resources and geographies are going to be sacrificed for these fossil fuels. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's not just, Oh, these are like the negative consequences to fossil fuels. There's these like nefarious effects that are starting to like cause global warming. It's like no built into the framework of relying on fossil fuels or on supporting slaughterhouses is the intrinsic idea that there need to be people and resources that are sacrificed Mm -hmm. from it like Mm it yeah you know what I mean like that that actually really blew my mind when she talked about that and and she talks about all of these areas that are affected by environmental racism um as sacrifice zones Mm -hmm. that by design have been kind of like chosen to suffer the consequences and she talks about like e-waste sites um or the niger delta or neighborhoods polluted by um other types of plants like they're just the graveyard of our economy that Mm -hmm. our economy need needs to have in place in order to keep functioning Mm -hmm. Um, and so that that's why it's so important for us to question the the systems of othering and of discrimination that have allowed the doors of these corporations to open in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, because if there wasn't the logic behind it of saying that these people like are sacrificable, then, you know, all of these destructive industries also wouldn't be able to take place. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I think that is so relevant when we talk about slaughterhouses. Absolutely. That, that even it's like, that brings it back to our initial rant where this like – wealthy vegan who's going around on like elite vegan cruises finds it 
morally acceptable <laughs> shade <laughs> finds it morally acceptable to sacrifice entire populations of poor people in order to keep a system going that benefits him and like destroys the environment you know it's just like even even in the yeah. vegan circles it's like there's sacrifice zones because people aren't seeing how these things interconnect mhm it's oh mm-hmm. man yeah no but that's so true that um yeah these people you know they've definitely been considered disposable they've definitely been considered sacrificable mm-hmm. and nobody's paying attention mm-hmm. and th- this is this is the price mm-hmm. we pay for cheap meat you know because people want to go to the store and eat mm-hmm. cheap mcdonald's burgers then these people are sacrificed and not even just them it's people all over across the the developing world who are losing their homes losing mm-hmm. their land being forced to grow food that they don't even get yeah. to eat it's being exported you know mhm right <sighs> and the necessary damage that these behaviors and these corporations cause is necessarily chosen and contained to affect a particular group of people and a particular like location mhm That reminds me of the Dakota Access Pipeline that was initially routed to go through a white, pretty affluent community and the members of the community. Like, I don't even think they, like, had to organize or do, like, some Mm -mm. big, giant demonstration of opposition. Um, They just basically, like, you know, for very understandable reasons, didn't want the pipeline, like, running under their ground because it's extremely dangerous and Mm -hmm it is going to leak at some point or another. And so it was rerouted to go through indigenous, indigenous land um, and sacred land. Um, Mm -hmm. So in the same vein, slaughterhouses don't just happen to affect communities of color and poor communities Mm -hmm. more. They're like very, you know, it's very designed that they're located in those areas. Mm. Well, you know, maybe those people should focus more on the law of attraction and take... And on the positive (laughs) things in their lives. And take responsibility for their lives instead of demanding free handouts from the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. They really should. I mean, it's their it's their choice to you know to choose to focus on the terrible toxic odor when they walk out of their house. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't mm-hmm. they? Why can't they to the, just the radio? attract? Not, focus on something else. Why can't they just attract some clean air and water into their lives? <laughs> it's because they probably don't want it badly enough. You know. I guess so. I guess they've just chosen that life. They, yeah. It's too bad that we all suffer the consequences of their choice at the end of the day. Yeah, but I mean, they're all free, right? We're all free. They all have equal opportunity to do something else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Sorry, it's like still bugging me that 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 he said that. (laughs) I know. I mean, I can imagine. Anyway, you're so right that, yeah, there's – it's very clear which communities are going to be targeted and which communities are not. And, um, yeah, well, why don't we talk about some community mm-hmm. organizing against these things coming in as perhaps a more positive note? Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't able to find a whole lot on this, um, but I found one story which I which was really inspiring um, and just a good reminder of all the power that we can have when we collectively organized. Um, so, a woman called Naima Muhammad, um, who lives in North Carolina who's always been really invested in like activism and anti-racism work um, and organizing in her community. She really believes in like talking to people to help them know what their rights are uh, to, to get them to go out and vote um, and show up at their like legislative offices to protest um, certain policies that are being passed, et cetera. Anyway, she got hired uh, working for the North Carolina Environmental Justice Network on a project that like sought to, I guess, illuminate the situation with like slaughterhouse and environmental racism more. And so what she would do 
I'm pretty sure she did most of this on her own. Um, she would ride around in a car and try to meet people in these areas and talk with them to try to get a feel for their living situation and especially for their level of awareness um, in regards to these issues. And she realized that people were, for the most part, totally unaware about like why they, you know, they knew that there were these awful smells around. Um, they were reporting difficulty breathing and contracting asthma. Um, a lot of people in the community were, were, were sick, um, but they didn't know why. And they didn't talk to each other very much about it, um, which is such a, you know, capitalism makes mm -hmm. it that way. Like when you're working a couple different jobs and like most of the day it, everything is built so that we don't interact with each other and that we don't like organize around these issues that are devastating our lives and so yeah so she started talking to them um and then she like encouraged them to organize and to connect the dots between like the role of capitalism and like what and the role of racism and what they were experimenting. Um, she would ask them questions like, why do you think it was your community that was chosen and not another community? Mm -hmm. Why do you think that all of you are con contracting some of these illnesses, but that for some reason, you know, you weren't able to like come together and talk about it. So then the North Carolina Environmental Justice Network did a project called Community Health Effects on Industrial Hog Operations. Once they kind of profiled where all the large hog farms were in um, the United States um, and the fact that they were affecting community, poor communities of color. And so as a part of this project... Um, all so all the people who accepted to participate which were again people like from the neighborhood like got a little kit um and twice a day they would be asked to sit outside on their porches for 10 minutes at a time and using journals they would document whether there was an odor and if so how strong it was when the 10 minutes was up they would take their blood pressure print it out and tape it to the journal page for that day uh, they also tested their lung capacity and used saliva samples to test their immune system lastly they used machines to measure the amount of hydrosulfite in the air and the wind direction because um they wanted to like capture the number of particles in the air that were like getting into people's lungs and affecting like their asthma and their respiratory problems. And the results of the study have been published online and used to file several lawsuits. Um, we'll link them in the show notes, but the, the results totally proved what people were saying um, was in fact happening to them. And I just thought that this was a really cool story of like, yeah, how this woman and this like little environmental network that really doesn't have like that many funds um, went around, spoke to people, like gave them kids, tried to generate the data because they were also explaining that a lot of these people, since they're scared of the law and since they don't have the money to go, you know, to seek like adequate health resources, like don't document like the health problems in these mm -hmm. communities aren't ever documented and able to like you know, because in lawsuits and in, like, it's super important to have this sort of factual information to prove what you're actually going through. Um, and anyway, I just thought this was like a really cool example of and like a really great reminder of how important it is to like take mm -hmm. action on these things. One of one of the quotes that that um, Naima Muhammad said was, you think being quiet is going to save you, but it won't. You'd be surprised by how much of a difference you can make by making noise. Um, and she also said it's easier to stop something than it is to change it. And like even for myself, that was a really good reminder. Like I I don't know. I was just super inspired by all the work that she did on the mm -hmm. grassroots level and just her like fire for like bringing the knowledge to people that like they need to like organize and actually like oppose legislation and go out and vote and do all these things that take a lot of time and that take a lot of energy. Um, but like, these are mm -hmm. the fucking real heroes, you know, like, I, yeah, I'm really glad just, that she was able wow. to do that. Um, and this same cord, this same community was also organizing against landfills because North Carolina was slated to become, to like get a bunch of new landfills and become the fourth largest landfill state. In the United States, like on top of the fact that they already have like 
the highest population of hog farms. Um, and they were actually able to halt um, a lot of the construction by passing a pretty solid Environmental Protection Act. Um, anyway, so we'll link all of her information down below and like more about what she did. Um, yeah, that's super inspiring. I mean, there's not a lot of information out there on on community organizing. I know that there are um, communities that are are coming together to fight these things. I know that on the Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack podcast, they mentioned some news recently um, of of a community that was coming together to fight. Um, in Iowa, there's a lot of groups that um, that fight this kind of stuff, like the Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement. Other groups like Community Action to Restore Environmental Stewardship and Jefferson County Farmers and Neighbors, etc., are all trying to organize efforts within small communities to stop the construction of factory farms. But I mean, as we discussed, like they have mm-hmm. so little power. And as you just like very eloquently spelled out, they often don't even know the extent of the problem and they don't have the resources to prove it. Um, and yeah, I mean, the big companies are just going to deny, deny, deny. And unless you can fully prove that there is a direct link, then they're going to skirt responsibility 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing that we can definitely do, um, if we have the privilege of not suffering from being surrounded by spoiled meat and hog (laughs) shit rain, um, is, (laughs) I'm so mad is to stop supporting the animal Mm -hmm. agriculture industry. Like people who are invested in opposing environmental racism and capitalism and like who think, you know, all of these, like, yeah, I mean, everyone should obviously want to oppose those things, but especially like people who really fight for these issues who don't at all consider like, the the problem with eating meat i just it's just mm-hmm. so important mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um and it's so important also for veganism to be framed in the context of like mm-hmm. environmental justice and of like capitalism being against racism and stuff absolutely because like mm-hmm. look you know the problem with slaughterhouse is like it's not just harming mm-hmm. animals even though it's you know even though that's yeah. a huge part of it it's it's really harming slaughterhouse workers it's really harming the people who come into contact with slaughterhouse workers mm-hmm. women especially um and it's harming the environment and the neighborhood all around them by like literally mm-hmm. like poisoning mm-hmm. them yeah, absolutely. you know factory farming has no place in our sustainable socialist future <laughs> no place <laughs> nope we're on in any future because like literally we're killing right yeah we're, no we're killing ourselves other. with it ourselves. yeah absolutely it is you so. know what i mean <sighs> like it's just so fucking clear what did you that yeah oh clear i think you said queer <laughs> it is also like, oh, well what? no it's it's also part of queer liberation i'm sure there's some <laughs> kind of intersection there yeah. um mm-hmm. So yeah, I think we're going to just leave it off there for today. Um, hopefully that was an enlightening, you know, look into the intersections of capitalism, carnism, racism, and environmental mm-hmm. impact. Um, before we go, we have a number of patrons to shout out. So thank you so very much to um, to Mitch, V. Fleck, Sarah Hambridge. Phil and Marika. Thank Thank you you so much, everyone. Um, We really appreciate your support. I think actually after this month, we will have enough money for the new microphone. Oh, girl, I'm so excited. We've been saving up. Yeah, basically, Maxi and I have different microphones. Like Mm. I have a pretty crappy microphone and Maxi has a good microphone. And since we don't have the same one, it makes editing the episodes substantially more difficult because our sounds are like our sound our sound volumes are so Mm -hmm. different um and i just wow i just feel like it's gonna be so much easier with the same microphone and i'm so excited for that um and hopefully it'll sound better too yes although i must say for such a crappy microphone it holds up but it just takes a lot of like 
fucking with the sound on iMovie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's really not terrible. But anyway, we're very, very happy <laughs> that we'll be able to be doing that. So thank you for your donations. If you would like to support the show, please uh, sign up to be a monthly patron or you can make a one-time donation via PayPal and you can do both of those things via our website, which is veganvanguardpodcast.com. And if you would like to support non-monetarily, a great way would be to rate and review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever app you're listening to us on, or just share our episodes with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds so fun, Maxie. I think I want to do all those things. (laughs) Uh, Yes, don't we all? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. All right. Uh, All right. Thank you so much, everyone. And we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. See you in two weeks.